Hello, and welcome to The Intersection. I'm Mark Riley. Thanks for being with us. Let me begin this by saying I have been a fan of the Raiders football team for a very, very long time. From 1968, to be exact, back to an event called the Heidi game with the New York Jets. I don't want to go into too much great detail about that game, but let's say it changed the course of football and television history back in 1968. I always loved how the quarterback for the Raiders in those days, Daryl LaMonica, used to throw the ball all over the field with reckless abandon. That's why they called him the Mad Bomber. The Raiders were home to the snake, the stork, and the molester. They had coaches like the great John Madden, Tom Flores, and Art Shell. I followed them from afar, from Oakland to Los Angeles, back to Oakland, and finally to Las Vegas. They were the outlaws of football, always projecting an anti-authoritarian swagger that at times confounded the football establishment. That's why recent revelations about now ex-coach John Gruden felt like such a personal betrayal. His emails, which were exposed last week, reveal a racist, misogynistic, homophobic side to his personality that is unbelievable in a man charged with coaching and inspiring players in a league where 70% of those players are black. Lips like a Michelin tire? That's how he described the head of the NFL Players Union, a black man. John Gruden, it turns out, was and is wrong on so many levels. His emails were part of a trove of 650,000 emails and may be the tip of the iceberg when it comes to NFL misogyny, homophobia, racism, etc. After all, Gruden was a respected coach and football analyst for a number of years. He was in the middle of a 10-year, $100 million contract. And yet the same guy who congratulated one of his own charges for coming out as gay also called NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell an F-A-blank-blank-O-T. Keep in mind, these emails took a good while to come out. They exposed not just Gruden, but a culture within the game that the NFL will take great pains to downplay. But let's be clear, that culture still exists and will continue. Ask yourself the following question. Why did John Gruden choose a backup quarterback, a backup quarterback, whose main claim to fame was throwing five interceptions in one game? That's right, five interceptions. I'm only asking because Colin Kaepernick was and is available. His stats are far, far better than the guy Gruden chose, Nathan Peterman. So why did Gruden pick him? The emails expose the answer. Gruden was opposed to change in the football club that Colin Kaepernick represented. So much for meritocracy. Is the email Gruden sent about Demora Smith, the head of the Players Union, racist? Absolutely. Is Gruden a racist? Don't know, don't care. What concerns me is a league where people communicate in base, racist, misogynistic, homophobic terms and are comfortable in doing so. This, by the way, is taking place at the executive level. Not to say that all NFL top brass act this way. 
at least not to the point where they put it in emails. And then there's been the response of the right-wing media. Some say Gruden is being picked on because he's a conservative white guy who takes issue with whatever ham-handed efforts the NFL is making to bring itself into the 21st century. Some say he should have only been suspended, which of course is not up to some socialist, but Raiders owner Mark Davis. Yet some blowhards want to spin this into a conspiracy to be laid at the feet of cancel culture. There it is again, cancel culture. To them, Gruden's weak, I'm not a racist response to his own musings is fine. Sad to say, football's culture won't change until it costs the owners money to maintain the status quo. That's why, in my estimation, John Gruden may have another job in football way before Colin Kaepernick does. And that, to me, folks, is the saddest part. The only thing Gruden and others yet to be exposed will learn is not to put their fossilized viewpoints in emails. And that's not close to real change in the NFL or sports in general. Up next, more black Americans are getting vaccinated against COVID. What has changed people's minds? Stick around. This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, stay tuned to The Intersection with Mark Riley. If any group in America had a legitimate reason for being skeptical about being vaccinated against coronavirus, it's black people. That deep antipathy can be summed up in two words, Tuskegee experiment. This huge stain on the nation's scientific and medical communities lasted for 40 years. The original study was stopped almost a half century ago, but the scars remain. I first heard about the Tuskegee experiment as a teenager, before it was ended. Although I'd been vaccinated against a number of potential illnesses as a child, my parents had me get those shots as a requirement to attend school. Fast forward a half century, and I had no no hesitation at all in getting the two Pfizer shots, or jabs as they're called here in England. However, As I began to read news that black Americans were more hesitant to get vaccinated than whites, I knew right off the bat the reasons why. One was obviously distrust of government and to a lesser extent, the medical community. Another was that the vaccines were not as available in certain black communities across the country. A third is the misinformation that still circulates on social media and that black people are exposed to. Yet now, vaccination rates among black Americans is rising, particularly since it became widely available this past May. I think another factor could be, and I emphasize could be, grassroots messaging. Folks may not believe everything Dr. Anthony Fauci said, but if a local person 
that a community respects says it's okay to get vaccinated and encourages people to get vaccinated and they've done it themselves, that carries some weight. Vaccine mandates have also played a role. I have family who were resistant to getting the vaccine until their jobs were on the line. Even then, they waited right up until the deadline. And why? I was told that the shot would change a person's DNA or make them magnetic or other forms and manners of disinformation. Now, particularly in southern states with low vaccination rates, black people are taking a look at the death rates among the unvaccinated. The FDA approval of the Pfizer vaccine and other factors that include losing family members to the virus to rethink their hesitancy. That is hesitancy, folks, as opposed to resistance. There are people of all races that simply cannot be convinced that the shot is better for them than remaining unvaccinated. No matter how many statistics they see about hospitalizations and deaths, it doesn't matter to the vaccine resistant. They stay unvaccinated and to an extent, they endanger people around them. The best hope for them and for us is that the power of group persuasion will finally work, finally. After all, this pandemic is not over yet, no matter what people may tell you. We could be experiencing another winter like the last one. You remember last winter, folks? This time though, there probably won't be lockdowns or nearly as much social distancing and mask wearing as there was before. The unvaccinated, as I said, will put both themselves and those around them at a greater risk. In fact, a recent article in the Washington Post says the vaccine mandates that sparked so many protests across the country seem to be working in hospitals that have them. Yet not every hospital, in fact, has them. When it's all said and done, black Americans' acceptance of the vaccines is good news. And here's some more good news, again, courtesy of WAPO, the Washington Post. Since the murder of Breonna Taylor by Louisville police a year ago last March, cities and states across America have been taking a long look at the efficacy of no-knock warrants, the kind that cost this young lady her life. In fact, 28 states and 20 cities have passed some sort of restrictions on no-knock raids. Nine states have prohibited them entirely. It's worth taking a bit back and looking back a bit at how no-knock warrants were originally intended to be used and how their use has, in fact, evolved. The simple explanation is this. While such raids were originally conceived to be used only when a person's life was in danger, They've increasingly been used to make drug arrests. Dozens of innocent people like Breonna Taylor have been killed in botched raids since New York State opened the floodgates back in 1964. Quiet as is kept, law enforcement has also lost people. That's right. And I'm talking now not about no-knock raids that ended up in shootouts. In some cases, they hit the wrong place or whatever. But law enforcement has also 
been hurt by this. And interestingly, the proliferation of no-knock laws, according to the Washington Post op-ed, was not a police priority, but a political priority. That they're being restricted is all the more extraordinary because police power, once granted, is hard to take away. Look at the controversy, for example, around stop and frisk. I'm not sure if there are federal statistics that quantify innocent lives lost, wrong house raids, and the like. There probably should be if they are not. No one doubts that there are some situations where no-knock raids are in fact justified. As the Washington Post op-ed columnist Radley Balco put it, quoting here, as a policy, the no-knock raid is a sledgehammer in search of ants, and its only real legacy has been unnecessary death. And finally, is Queen Elizabeth channeling Greta Thunberg on climate change? Join the conversation at Mark Riley Media on Facebook. Welcome back to The Intersection. She's been called a mentally ill Swedish child, and her statements about climate change, rubbish. She is, of course, Greta Thunberg, climate activist extraordinaire. Grown folks, especially talk show hosts around the world, have been savaging her for her assertion that the world's leaders are promising much, but delivering little when it comes to taking action on climate change. Well, it seems Greta Thunberg has some company, someone they wouldn't dare talk about in the same way. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, that beloved monarch of the United Kingdom, essentially was caught on a hot mic saying something very similar. In a live stream last week, the Queen was overheard talking to her daughter-in-law, the Duchess of Cornwall, about the upcoming COP26 climate summit in Glasgow, Scotland. Here are her words. Quote, Extraordinary, isn't it? I've been hearing all about COP. Still don't know who's coming. We only know about people who are not coming. It's really irritating when they talk, but they don't do. Interesting. And that's unquote. Now compare this to the words of Greta Thunberg a couple of weeks earlier at the Youth for Climate Summit in Milan. Her exact words, build back better, blah, 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 green economy, blah, 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 net zero by 2050, blah, blah, blah. This is all we hear from our so-called leaders. Words that sound great, but so far have not led to action. Our hopes and ambitions drown in their empty promises, unquote. Now, this is not just about cops who shows and who doesn't. It's about some in the media, not all, some in the media, bullying a young lady for speaking her truth. Not one of them, not one, has the guts to step to the queen for speaking her truth. Would they care to speculate about the queen's potential autism as they have about Thunberg? I seriously, seriously doubt it. 
Is someone manipulating the queen? As some have said, Thunberg's parents are manipulating her. These media climate deniers are punks who like to pick on a teenager because they figure their audiences like it. Badmouthing the queen, on the other hand, would engender a very different response, and they know it. And the central question both of them are asking is this, and that's the queen and Greta Thunberg. Will anything of substance come out of the COP26 summit? The answer is likely to be no. As the Queen points out, the summit at this point is talked about more in terms of which world leaders are not coming than those who are. In case people have forgotten, this is the future of the planet we're talking about. And the Queen isn't the only member of the royal family speaking out. Prince William, the Queen's grandson, and second in line to the throne, is taking a dim view of those billionaires spending serious money to build rockets for a private sector space race, while the planet's going to hell in a handbasket. Can COP25, or 26, I should say, can COP26 be a success? Depends on how you measure success. Reducing carbon emissions by 2050 may seem like a noble cause, but consider that an awful lot of people on the planet now, including me, will not be around in 2050. Sad to say, if we don't do something now, the planet might not be around as we know it by 2050. Greta Thunberg will be a pensioner. And you know what she'll be saying? She'll be saying, I told you so. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Intersection. The executive producer of the broadcast is Ms. Kim Jack Riley. Music is by Eric Lund. Until we meet again, please stay well.